Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, Lord, for this great privilege of gathering on this first day of the week to gather with brethren and friends and sit at Thy feet for learning. Lord, we're so thankful that we have a truth that was preserved over centuries for us, a truth that is truth, that gives us a lively hope, that gives us a knowing, the ability to have a knowing that we are at one with Thee and that we will forever be with Thee. Lord, words cannot express gratitude for that. And so we pray, Lord, that our lives might reflect the gratitude that we have in our hearts. Lord, bless us out of Thy Word in this day. Lord, bless each hearer who has come. Be with those that can't be with us. We're mindful of those that are on sickbeds. We're mindful of some that can't be with us because of other difficulties. We're mindful of Sister Hilda and Aunt Laney and others, Lord, that escapes me at this time that can't be with us. Bless them, Lord. Visit them. Those, Lord, that will join our stream of the morning message, whether it be now or later, bless them as well. We pray, Lord, that all those that will hear the truth spoken, not by me, but by thy spirit in this day, might be blessed. Lord, remain with us, and we'll thank thee already for the blessings we know we shall receive. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Dear ones, you, you all know that I, that I have this practice of mine that at the end of every year, I, I spend some time in some purposeful reflection, and we had a busy house. I'm thankful we did. My, my boss said to me Friday, he said, so, you know, I said, how was your Christmas vacation? He goes, it was wonderful. He said, I did almost nothing for two weeks. It was just wonderful. I could rest. And, and he says, how was yours? And I said, busy. And it was. I mean, even a week before Christmas, we, we, um, Carrie was with us, and we had a beautiful week together. And, and then before she left, Bethany came. And, and so we just, the house was full, and it was wonderful. But it also pushed my reflection, because I didn't want to just disappear. And so my reflection was more on, on Monday. And I ended up with nine pages of notes. And the hard part, as I mentioned to Frida this morning, is how do you distill nine pages of notes to some actions that you can get busy with? That's the hard part. I'm still not finished with that. But I did have one thing that jumped out at the page at me, and it was I need to get healthier physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Whatever happened on that day, and I don't remember what happened on that day, but clearly I was realizing that I wasn't where I needed to be. I wasn't where I could be. And this week I, I heard um, someone did a, a podcast um, on, you know, the new year, and, and, and the person said, have you ever heard somebody say, I wish things were different? And then he drilled down a little further. He says, so now this is kind of, these are my words, now. this is where the rubber meets the road. Have you ever said you wish things were different? And then he made this statement. And this is a harsh statement. You are the way you are because that's the way you want to be. You are the way you are because that's the way you want to be. Now that sounds, if you want to turn to the scripture while I'm doing this introduction, Philippians 3. 
That's a harsh statement. We are the way we are because that's the way we want to be. And you're going to say, wait, you don't know my family. You don't know my job. You don't know the relationships. You don't know the people I have to deal with. You're right, I don't. But you are the way you are because that's the way you want to be because if you didn't, you would change something. If I'm not happy with the relationship I have with my wife, I can't change my wife. I can only change me. If I'm not happy with the relationship I have with my son, either or, or Tim who's home sick, I can't change them. I have to change me. We are the way we are because that's the way we want to be. Um, Fred Smith, who was the guy that started um, FedEx, said if you wanted to be any different, you would be in the process of changing right now. Wow. Now here's a, a humorous one, and I know you're, some would say you're not supposed to use humor from the pulpit, but I violated that for years, and I just continue to do that today. So I, I realized um, this past week that I know someone whose cousin was a major league umpire, Rocky Rowe. Never knew that. And his cousin told this gentleman that I know, this acquaintance of mine, he, said, I, he says, you know, there, there was a, ma- a baseball manager that he clearly did not like. None of the umpires liked him, and it was Earl Weaver who, who managed the Baltimore Orioles. Earl Weaver berated umpires all the time. And, this, and, and Rocky Rose said to this, this person that I know, he said, the first time you would miss a call when you're calling a Baltimore game, Earl Weaver would be in your face and say, is this as good as you're going to get? Or are you going to get any better? Is this as good as it gets with you? Or are you going to get better? And, and while that's humorous, I really want to challenge myself first and you. Is this as good as we're going to get? And if that's the case, we're beginning to die already. We are the way we are because it's the way we want to be. The relationship that I have with God is the way it is because it's the way I want it to be because I know that God wants a relationship with me that is amazing, that is extremely intimate. God wants to control every fiber of my being. God wants me to be at a completely different level than I am right now. And the only reason I'm not there is me, not him. So with that as a backdrop, let's, let's look at Philippians chapter 3. Very familiar scripture. Actually, um, I, I referenced a scripture in Bible class, and I looked it up real quick. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that before I read this. In 2 Peter 3, I'm actually going to read verses 17 and 18. The one that I quoted um, in, in Bible class was the last, the last words that we have of the Apostle Peter is what I quoted, but I'm going to read two, the last two verses. This is in 2 Peter 3, beginning with verse 17. So in, 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 first, in 2 Peter 3, this third chapter, Peter's really talking about, guess what? Everything around us is going to be dissolved. To use a phrase that might be more common in the world today, all hell will break loose and everything that we see will be dissolved. God will finally say, I've had enough. 
and put Satan where Satan belongs. And, before, and so then Peter says this, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. And then verse 18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow in grace. That statement that I read first that sounds very harsh, we are the way we are because that's the way we want to be, is freeing. It's liberating because it tells us that we don't need to stay where we are. So now, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, second chapter, uh, Paul, this is, Paul is, this is probably the third to the last letter Paul wrote just before he wrote First and Second Timothy. Um, he, we know that he has this amazing relationship with the believers in Philippi, and, and he's talking in chapter 2, you know, um, about relationships and how we should have the mind of Christ. And he talks about uh, that we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, and we should do all things without murmuring and disputings. And he says, it's God that works in you, both to do and that, which, uh, both to, to will and to do that of his good pleasure. And then we get to verse chapter three. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Are we rejoicing? Rejoicing is a choice. It's not an emotion. It's a choice. There is so much that we could rejoice about. We can rejoice about the fact that we have this warm, beautiful place to come to. I walked, you know, as I was walking up the, 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 the walkway into the front doors and I see the wreaths with the beautiful red bows and so I'm, I'm so thankful that we had this beautiful Christmas season and now I kind of have this little bit of a sad feeling because all of the, the beauty of, of what we typically have around us will slowly be fading away for another year. But, but, but that's the wrong mindset. I should rejoice that I was able to experience it. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And then he says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So he's talking about warning them about legalists and Judaizers that were going to try to tear apart their faith and tell them that there were things of the flesh that they needed to do, circumcision that was how important it was. And he goes, no, 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 you're missing. Don't listen to them. They've missed the boat. The circumcision that we're talking about now is a circumcision of the heart. And then, I, and then I love how he goes into this. For that I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Think about what Paul's saying here. He said, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew, of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. He had arrived. He was somebody. We also know he was a Roman citizen. So not only was he um, this a Pharisee uh, who, who learned at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of the day, Paul was somebody. 
concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. When we were studying leading up to Christmas and we, we were reading in Luke, and, and, and it, it worked out perfect that we, you know, when we started the study of Luke, that literally we would talk about Christ's birth the Wednesday before Christmas. That was the Lord's doing, not, not any of ours. It just unfolded that way. But what were the things that were so common about, about Zacharias and Elizabeth and about Mary and Joseph? They were righteous. They were blameless. That's why God chose them. And Paul is saying himself here, concerning the law, I was blameless. Wow. But verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul had arrived. He had arrived spiritually, as the Jews would have said. He had arrived uh, politically, if we can call it that. Imagine what his life would have been as a Pharisee and a Roman citizen. But he said... I can't stay there. I can't rest on what I know, and I can't rest on who I am. My pedigree, my, my, my lineage, that means nothing. And I've counted but dung, animal waste. Not, it's not important. It is useless. It's worthless. Maybe, I guess, animal dung you can spread on, on fields so crops grow. But he said, I count all those things for loss. Why? That I might win Christ. And look here, verse 9, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ and the righteousness which is of God by faith. Everything I did isn't going to help me. Keeping the law isn't going to help me. All my teachings that I learned at the feet of Gamaliel aren't going to help me. Now, did it mean that he, that he didn't find those valuable? No, I honestly believe that the Apostle Paul really valued the teachings that he got from Gamaliel. It gave him a rich awareness, a rich understanding that he could build a lot of our Christian doctrines on top of. He understood more of the why that the law of the law, because he was able to learn it so, so in depth. And then look at this verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. A couple years ago, I was listening to a speaker on my temporal life, and he said, things do not happen to you, they happen for you. Let me say that again. Things don't happen to you, they happen for you. Now, he happens to be a man of faith as well, but this was not a faith setting. 
So for us, dear ones, should that not be such an, an obvious statement? All things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Is it 2 Thessalonians 4 or 1 Thessalonians 4? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. Things don't happen to us. They happen for us. Are we aware of God working in our life? Are we, are we in tune with what he is doing? Are we thinking about what he is doing? If I get sick, and thankfully, I am so thankful that for the first time in, man, I don't know how many weeks, I actually feel great. Like I don't have a cold and I'm not taking cold medicine. And I'm like, wow, this is, a, this." I, I got up this morning, I'm like, this feels really good because I've been sniffling and coughing. And But when I went through that, that was the will of God for me. What was he teaching me? As I went through my reflections, oh my goodness, there were so many times in the last year where I was saying things like, I need to drink more water. I need more white space. I need more margin. I need to say no to things more often because I wasn't taking care of myself physically. Now, here's the reality. I was the way I was because that's the way I wanted to be. Got to change that. Verse 10 again, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Am I okay with the fact that I'm saved? Oh, I'm thankful that I'm saved. I'm thankful that, you know, at a fairly young age, I gave my life to the Lord. I'm so thankful that that the Lord has led me through my life and and blessed me with, with a wife that I do not deserve. I'm thankful for the family I have, my children, my in-law children, my grandchildren. But am I satisfied with the level to which I know Christ? No, I'm not. Paul wasn't. The power of his resurrection How am I going to know the power of his resurrection? I have to live with the resurrected Christ. I believe the day will come when I will be able to fully understand the power of Christ's resurrection as I also am resurrected from this life. Think about that, brothers and sisters. We're going to have that opportunity someday. That's going to be amazing. But for Paul to go through that, he said, but also the fellowship of his sufferings. I don't like to suffer. I just admitted how how nice it is to feel well. I don't like suffering, and I didn't have to suffer to death. Paul is saying the the, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained Either were already perfect. I love that mindset. Paul had a growth mindset, a spiritual growth mindset. Let me read that again. Not as though I've already attained. He hadn't arrived. Either were already perfect, or perfect in this reference means complete. But I follow after 
if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He's talking about being taken captive, completely captive by the Spirit of God. And then verse 13 Um, And this is the verse that I thought about when I was thinking about this morning's message. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press. I give effort. I commit energy. I work diligently every day on this goal of growing in Christ, becoming more like him, thinking more like him, acting more like him. And then in verse 15, let us therefore as many as be perfect or complete be thus minded. And if any man... If in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. I love how he says that. And if you got other thoughts, if you kind of disagree with this concept of growing continually in Christ, God's going to reveal that to you. He kind of leaves, leaves the person alone with God. You can't change anybody. You can't. You know, we've, we've heard the phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I heard a really great twist on this this last year. It was one of my reflection notes. No, I can't make him drink, but I can make the horse thirsty. How do, how do we create thirst in people? We, we, we can bring people to the master. We can introduce people to our Savior but we can't save them. And unless they want to be saved, neither can Jesus. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, follow me. But they had to follow. And we at least know of the rich young ruler, lawyer, where Jesus said, sell sell all that you have. Follow me. And he went away sorrowful. He wasn't the only one sorrowful. Jesus was sorrowful too. But what can we do? What can I do? I can, you know, Jeremy was talking about, you know, in in Bible class, what should we do? How can we lead people to the Lord? We need to be continually growing in grace and the knowledge of Christ every day. We need to be free enough to share our journey with them. And we need to be bold enough to say, and you are the way you are because that's the way you want to be. And how can we say that? How can we say that with such boldness? Because we were there once too. For years, I sat in the pews of the old church. For years, I went to Eastern camp. And for years, the message of salvation, the invitation to come to Christ was offered. And I sat there for years because that's the way I wanted to be. If we're rejecting the call of God, it isn't God's fault. It isn't the preacher's fault. Because, little secret, it's not the preacher that calls. 
It's the Spirit of God that calls. The preacher could be saying anything, and the Spirit of God would say, this applies to you. But if we sit there, it's because we want to sit there. I also heard another quote this week that was kind of startling. And I wasn't sure, and I I wrote a piece about it for work, and I wasn't really sure that I agreed with it until I thought about it even more. And it said this, it said, Hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. Hope is not a strategy. I remember once when I was fairly young at, at Self-Lock and, and trying to figure out how do I lead that organization. And I remember once, and Brother Peter will probably remember this, I, I came up with this nice slogan and I put it on the top of, of, our, of our business plan for the year and it was Quest for World Class. And I remember Brother Peter saying to me, you will be world class when your customers say you are world class. Now, he didn't mean that harshly, and I didn't take it harshly. It was like, oh, wow, is he right? It, you see, because saying it doesn't make it happen. Hoping for it doesn't make it happen. Hope is not a strategy. But, what the, but the, the, the person that used the phrase, the two beautiful daughters of hope, anger and courage, is this. You know, anger is not necessarily a destructive emotion. It can be. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. It doesn't say, don't get angry. God's got, God gets angry. Jesus got angry. They don't sin. So when we're angry, when we're frustrated about something, when we're displeased with something, take that emotion. If I'm, if I'm displeased with what happened in, in, my, in my, my growth and my development last year, do something about it. That's why I do my reflections. That's why I try to distill down into actionable things I can do in 2023. 2022 was a great year. Was it an exceptional year? Was it an excellent year? No, it was a good year. Could it have been better? Yes. How do I make it better? Be frustrated with myself and angry enough with myself to have the courage to step out of my comfort zone and make a change. I'm not happy with my physical condition. My doctor says, hey, you only gained two pounds. That's pretty good since I saw you last. Well, I feel like I gained 15, not two. I got to do something about it. When will I do something about it? When I'm angry enough to step out of my comfort zone and eat better or eat less or exercise more. I need to work on that this year. I'm not happy with where I'm at spiritually. How do I know that? Because I'm not completely at one with Christ in all of my thoughts, my deeds, my actions. I'm not where God wants me to be. One of the ways I know that is I'm still here. If I was where God wanted me to be and I had grown to the point that he wanted me to grow and had accomplished the things he wanted me to accomplish, I would be with Brother Mike Palinaki right now. But God is saying, no, you're not where you need to be. I want you to experience me more. I want you to walk with me more. I want you to listen to me more. I want you on a daily, hourly basis to be more aware of who I am and what am I doing in your life? What am I doing in the world? What am I doing in the lives of others? So dear ones, 
that statement, it sounds so awful. We are the way we are because it's the way we want to be. It's true. If you're unhappy with your life, do something about it. Invite the Lord to show you and he'll empower you. He doesn't, what I love about this, you know, and you've heard me say this before, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. God doesn't call people who have all the skills necessary to do what he, you know, he, he, it's, he gives, the 12 disciples weren't the most successful people on earth. Well, Matthew probably was, at least financially successful. But they were the diamonds in the rough that Jesus was asked to call. And he, through the power of the Spirit, would equip them, would qualify them and equip them to be the very building blocks of the faith that we still embrace today. So if I'm not happy, let God change me. If I'm not happy with the church, I gotta be willing to step out of my comfort zone and change. I don't think that we have a great enough impact in our community. I think we're too centrally focused. We got to change. If the door's closed, would anybody here know other than us? If the answer to that is no, something's wrong. Because we aren't here for us. May the Lord add his blessing to this word.